Welcome to the Moose Room, everybody. The OG3 is here. We are still covering drought topics. If, you, uh, if you're surprised by that, then you haven't been outside lately. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> wow, okay. <laughs> Sorry, that was a little aggressive. A little aggressive. I liked it. It was, it was, you know, the drought is aggressive as well. So we're just trying to match its attitude. Right, right, right. It, it was getting better here in the western part of the state, but then it's it rained for a while and then it stopped raining again. So it kind of looked like we were coming out, but not no, at all. It's not getting better. Like we talked about before in previous episodes, our fate was kind of sealed a while ago in terms of hay harvest, forage, all that. So today we're going to talk about looking a little bit ahead and seeing a lot of people are feeding hay already, but uh, because we didn't get as much as we wanted this year, we really need to worry about using everything as efficiently as possible as we get through fall, winter, where we're feeding probably a longer period where we have to feed hay and we have less of it. So that's the topic today. We're going to talk about how do you try to avoid buying really expensive hay if you don't have to use everything you have as efficiently as possible. Find a magic lamp and yeah. then just have the genie. Get you more hay. Exactly. But you better use your second wish for rain. Otherwise, you don't deserve it. Right. So, I mean, in this episode is probably going to be a little more beef focused, but we can talk about dairy. And and I think that's probably where we should start. We should start with the dairies because, it, you know, the drought has been definitely uh, emphasized on the beef side because of pasture and uh, hay going into winter. But it's affecting our dairy farmers as well. Uh, a lot with hay prices and hay quantity and quality. So Brad, kind of give us a, a rundown of what's going to happen to rations and, and things this this fall and winter as we get uh, short on hay. That's a good question. I think s- sometimes people might put more corn silage in the ration, which may be good or not good. I, you know, we're we're looking at drought has affected the corn silage as well. So you know, I think about it from our standpoint, and we've been talking here the last week or so about, you know, what do we do? We've had less hay. The quality is actually pretty good. You know, we're running about 130, 140 RFQ on our haylage, which is pretty decent, I think, but the yields aren't there. Some of our uh, cuttings were half the yield of what they were maybe first cutting. So we just have a little bit less, you know, and as I've probably said before, we harvested oatlage. But we're trying to think about how we can reduce hay because we don't want to buy $250, $300 a ton hay. So we're probably going to chop more corn silage than what we ever have to help compensate that. So we're going to be, you know, going into our corn grain. Uh, you know, we're going to have less corn grain, but we're going to chop more silage. So that might be a way. And I think that's what other dairy farms are figuring out because nobody's going to pay a lot of money for hay. It's just, well, and I wouldn't suggest that you pay a lot of money for hay either. If you can chop more corn silage, I would chop as much corn silage as you can, you know, and there's lots of things that go with that. If you have enough space or bag space or bunker space or silo space, but consider chopping as much as you can. That sounds about what I'm hearing as well, especially on the dairy side where we're 
no one wants to buy hay. It's too expensive. Yeah. I mean, chopping corn silage is, is where it's at. If you can do it again, yields there might not be as good as they, they previously been. So you might have to chop more just to get the same amount that you do normally. So a uh, little depressing there, but, but there are, there are options there on the beef side. I think we're probably going to see more corn silage said to be fed to beef cows this winter than we normally do because of that same reason that there is probably some, some corn that's struggling that uh, can be chopped instead. And I think that's, that's where a lot of people are going to move. Let's get away from that, that strategy. Cause that, that is a valid strategy. It's something that people are going to do. I was going to say something. Oh, oh, Emily's got something. You never give me a chance. I got all distracted by yelling at you. Now I can't remember what I was going to say. Um, oh, yes. For dairies, this poses a really, you know, unique challenge and things that are going to affect the farm all the way around, just in that now we're dealing with less feed available and really poor quality feed or lower quality feed at that as well. Bradley was saying they have some some various forages that are looking okay, uh, but I think we know that by and large across the board, quality is just not going to be there this year. Let's get away from corn silage and that talk and we'll get to how you can save hay and and figure out how to stretch what you have as, as long as you can. And really, I've broken this down into three things. I know there's more, but we're going to use the rule of three today to cut down on how much you have to listen to us. Rude. The first, the first thing that, that we should talk about is hay storage. I mean, because that's really where it starts. There's a lot of hay that can go bad and be wasted if it's stored improperly. I know not everyone has the luxury of being able to have inside hay storage. I'm fully aware of that, but it is the best option. There's no, no getting around that. Getting your hay inside out of the rain is the best option. And most of what we talk about and the, the numbers I love to throw out are when we talk about round bales, the outer six inches of that bale, the stuff that's most susceptible to spoilage is a huge proportion of that bale. In a, in a six foot bale, we're talking about the outer six inches being 25% of that bale. And with a five foot bale, it's 30%. So if you allow that outer edge of that bale to spoil, you're wasting a quarter of that bale. And that, that's not something you want to do. Brad, how do you store your hay up at Morris? We like to store it inside if we can, but otherwise, you know, we net wrap everything. I think we have found net wrap to be the best for shedding water. You know, we, we can have a debate about how to wrap your hay another time, but uh, we have found that net wrap sheds the water and we probably have less spoilage or less waste when it's net wrapped compared to when it's, you know, just twine or, or plastic strings. So, and then we, you know, we stack it on top of each other and it does quite well. Uh, even, you know, we, we can't, we probably have half inside and half outside and, you know, another thing is you might be able to work with people if you have to buy it. So we buy some hay and we kind of work things out. And if the farmer is able to store it for us for a few months inside, you know, maybe there's some benefit there where it's, oh, well, you, you know, it's another dollar a ton to store it. Well, okay, you can store it for us for four or five months and then we'll come and get it or, or we'll deliver it. So there's ways to, to go about that as well if you don't have enough storage inside. That reminds me of uh, an episode we did a while ago now, the B-Wrap episode with Koshona, 
So that's another option. I mean, I know you have to have a specific baler to make it work usually, but it is an option for outside storage. The other big thing that I like to, to tell beef guys is if you're going to have to store hay outside, plan ahead so that that's the first hay you want to feed so that it doesn't sit outside all winter and, and, and it, for extended periods. If it doesn't have to, you're using that hay up first. So that takes some planning and knowing what stage of gestation your cows are in and their energy requirements for figuring out what hay you want to feed to what cows, but that's the way to go if you can do it. And one other thing I would add about storage before we move on is we're trying to reduce shrink, right? And we think about just the weather and spoilage and that, but also proper storage helps with pest control. So that's, you know, another one of those components as as you think about the other 5 million things you have to on your farm how are pests controlled and and how is your storage assisting you with that or or not and another thing with storage too of course there are safety concerns and different things that you should be taking into account um in the condition of your hay as you're storing it and we know that there's a lot of talk about increased fire risk this time of year and with the conditions we're in. And so being mindful of that, being mindful of how the hay is stacked, people get killed by bales. And so making sure that you have things really sturdy and strong in order to keep the safety there as well as you're storing this hay. All right. So let's move on from hay storage. That's one way to uh, basically decrease waste, improve quality. The, the big piece of this is there's other ways that we can decrease waste when we're talking about hay usage, especially when we talk about beef cattle and heifers on the dairy side as well. There's a lot of round bale feeders out there, and that's better than putting the hay on the ground in the paddock, but there's still a lot of waste associated with ad lib feeding of hay. There's been a lot of studies on this. There's a lot of numbers to throw around. I've tried to distill it down into what I think are the rules of thumb when we come to this. With round bale feeders, limiting access to that round bale feeder and and setting up a situation where the cows only have access to that round bale feeder for a certain amount of time during the day is probably the best way to go to avoid waste because cows waste a lot of hay if you give them access all the time we're talking about about 25 percent of the hay is wasted if you give them ad lib access fed free choice in that round bale feeder and you it's available all time that's 25% of that hay that's just not consumed. It ends up as bedding mashed into the ground around the round bale feeder. That's a lot of hay. That's a, that's a ton of hay. Uh, and if you combine that with, let's say you store that bale outside for an extended period of time, the outside six inches spoils. Now you've got 25% that's wasted from the weather. Got another 25% that's wasted by the cows. Basically you're wasting one out of every two bales of hay. And that's, not very efficient and not cost effective at all, especially when we're talking about prices like we're seeing this year. Do you guys use a round bell feeder up at Morris Bradley? I don't think you do, do you? Somewhere you uh, do. We do on dry cows in the wintertime and we do it all wrong. Hey, you heard it here. You're in charge. Yeah, well, it's tough. You know, they, they, they have hay waste and we chalk that up to fertility. You know, we're putting it on our pastures so you can get some fertility on your pastures if you, you know, I don't think it, I don't view it as waste. I view it as a fertilizer for the pasture to grow, but it is always tough in the wintertime. We've really tried to limit, you know, waste by 
providing more bales uh, so you're not having all the animals surrounding two bale feeders and they're just going crazy over it and end up wasting a lot so but it's hard to not have waste in a round bale feeder the studies that that have been done there's all sorts of different studies there are all sorts of different numbers the thing that i think makes the most sense for producers because some of the studies will say oh you should limit their access to three hours was the lowest i've seen six hours is another recommendation that's been out there that is really hard to do within the flow of a day especially if you have a day job so for me an eight to 12 hour window is much more accessible for a producer to to make work and you still see a lot of benefit and we're talking instead of 25 percent waste if you can give them access for only an eight to 12 hour window instead of 24 you're talking about only 10 percent waste so now we've, we've decreased it by 15 percent and that's a lot of hay that you're saving, especially when you're short. I mean, that it means a lot to save that amount of hay. So for me, an eight to 12 hour window of access is ideal. Now, the, the caveat to this whole thing is that you gotta have space for everyone to eat at the same time if you're gonna give them limited access like that. There has to be enough space for everyone to eat at the same time. And you have to be able to reliably keep them out of where those round bell feeders are for the other eight to 12 hours. That's the numbers. I think you can work out in your break evens, however you're you're doing that uh, on your farm. It pencils out really quickly to be able to set up a fence or even put up a temporary fence to keep cattle away from those round bell feeders for a certain period of time and then give them access. And what you'll see is a completely completely different behavior. They go in and they eat. They don't screw around. Uh, they eat right away, and then you can pull them out of there, take away the access, and you're not seeing cows just pull hay out and throw it on the ground or mess around with it. You won't see big piles of bedding around your feeders anymore. One thing, at least from a, a dairy perspective, or if you are if you have a TMR, you know, we've probably gone to more grinding of hay and putting it into the TMR to try and reduce hay waste. And so if, if farmers do have access to a TMR and are able to feed TMR to animals that are maybe heifers or, or whatever it might be, I would suggest trying to, to to grind it. You know, a TMR wagon will grind up hay quite nicely. So, and you just reduce the spoilage that way versus throwing it out into into hay rings, especially this year with uh, hay going to be in short supply and with high prices. You might consider feeding it in a TMR if you are able to do that. And on the on the beef side, a lot of guys do have a, a bale chopper for bedding, right? So you're bedding uh, a bedded pack outside or, or something like that. And that works perfect for hay as well. That kind of gets into our next topic of limit feeding. I know that was kind of what we're doing with the round bale feeders as well by limiting access, but limit feeding based on uh, nutritional requirements is another way to, to really target how much hay these cattle are eating uh, and making sure that you're using it most efficiently. And like Bradley said, if you have a, a bunk, which would be great, uh, it all comes down to bunk space. Again, if you're going to give everyone limited feed, you have to make sure that everyone can eat at the same time and get their fill. So that's two feet per head. If you're going to use a bunk, uh, a lot of guys, once the ground freezes, you've got Minnesota concrete available. You can make that bunk as long as you want by feeding right on the ground. Uh, and that has a lot of different benefits. Uh, not only can you make the bunk as long as you want, you can also, if you're doing that out on a crop field or overwintering on crop ground, now you're distributing that manure across that field. You can lay down that line of feed wherever you want 
and those cattle will deposit that manure for you. I think limit feeding is a great option if you can do it. It's probably the best option if you can do it because you can really target everything. It all comes down to bunk space so that you don't see a drop in body condition in certain cows and see other cows get heavier because they're hogging all the feed. One more caveat Bradley's just pointing out here is that for a lot of this to work, working with a nutritionist like we've been harping on for several episodes is a great idea because you knowing the quality of that hay, how much of that hay to feed, how much of other supplements can you add to then stretch your hay, that's all questions for your nutritionist and probably depends on the quality and, and testing of some of the hay that you do have. Again, you're hearing me say work with a nutritionist. Hopefully it's becoming normalized for our listeners to hear a veterinarian say work with your nutritionist because it is a good idea a lot of the time. But not all the time. For those times, you got to call your vet. Got to call your vet sometime. Uh, They're a great resource. Just throwing that out there. Never. Never. All right. Well, with that, I think we short, sweet episode. We covered some highlights. If you have questions on this, scathing rebuttals to anything we said today, comments for what you want to hear us talk about next, please email the moosroom at umn.edu. That's T-H-E-M-O-O-S-R-O-O-M at umn.edu. Catch us on Twitter at UMN Newsroom and at UMN Farm Safety. That's all the plugs I got for today. Thank you for listening. We'll catch you guys next week. That was sloppy, but I did my best. <laughs> <laughs>